0: remember the day you got saved you you don't have to remember the date I, i i don't know the date i never wrote it down but i've never forgotten the day that i received jesus christ as my savior and god did a wonderful thing that day amen if you say i'm not sure what you're talking about then let me tell you the bible says now is the accepted time today is the day of salvation hopefully by the time we come to the end you will understand that jesus christ loves you he died that he might save you and he saves you freely by his grace when you accept him as Savior. Luke chapter number three this morning. Luke chapter three. Now, I appreciate everybody coming in and we set up uh, the bench seats and, and everything. And, and we realize that when you start getting that 80% mark and everything, that seems really full and all. So thanks, everybody, for just uh, having a little bit of flexibility and adaptability. Um... The good news is we're not gonna be in here forever. And uh, uh, for those who've not yet looked in your bulletin, next Sunday night, we're gonna have a business meeting. It's put on our schedule. There's a very good chance that we will begin the process of, of securing land. Uh, four acres out on the corner of uh, White, and I think it's, um, I don't remember the corner, other uh, corner, but right near the Dollar General off Papago Road. And so uh, very excited about that. Uh, We attended a funeral uh, this last Tuesday, Pastor J.C. Joyner. He planted a church 61 years ago and pastored all 61. And in his obituary, and I'd hope to have it with me to read it to you this morning, it talked about how that uh, he came and, you know, they met in a home and then they met here. And then God led him to buy four acres, five acres of, of property on Craycroft Road in Tucson. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with Craycroft today, that's a busy street. I mean, boom, boom, boom on the uh, east side of the town. But when they moved out there, it was an unpaved road in the middle of nowhere. And so that's just what churches have to do sometimes, amen? You, you buy where you can get it and build, and you just know that towns like this one, cities, they grow. And as they grow, so does your capacity to reach people, and that's what it's all about. So to our guests and visitors, our members, thank you. For just being a little flexible today and uh, know that we are praying for permanent solution to this problem. Until then, we'll set up chairs and and bench seats and just make do. Amen. All right, uh, Luke chapter number three. Uh, We're going to begin reading in verse number one for our text this morning. Luke chapter three, verse one. We're going to read down through verse 20. We are going through the gospel of Luke on uh, Sunday mornings. And we want to preach this morning about God's highway to the heart. God's highway to the heart as you're able would you stand with me please out of respect for the reading of the bible i'll read aloud and ask you to follow along as i read verse one now in the 15th year of the reign of tiberius caesar pontius pilate being governor of judea and herod being the tetrarch of galilee and his brother philip tetrarch of etyria and of the region of trachonitis and licinius the tetrarch of abilene annas and caiaphas being the high priest The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude, John, then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. O generation of vipers. He evidently didn't read that book, right? How to win friends and influence people. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. First, I I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the tree, Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast in the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and said unto them, Never ask a preacher what you ought to do. He will have an answer. Amen? What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. I want to call your attention again to verse number um, two, verse two. Midway through, it says, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan preaching. The word of God came. and The man took that word and went preaching. I want to preach about the highway to men's hearts. The highway to men's hearts. Father, I pray this morning that you will bless the reading of your word we thank you lord for each member we thank you for each guest that's with us this morning lord the most important thing that can happen to any of us at this point is to hear you speak to us from your word and i pray father that that is what will happen Uh, i believe that when the bible speaks you speak and you have this opportunity for us to to mind the truths of your word and let them be applied to our hearts i pray that will happen i pray father that if there's one here today that has never received christ as savior they're uncertain of where they'll spend eternity they might understand there is salvation of god his name is jesus he's the savior he can save anyone today who would just pay attention to the message that john preached i ask you now to fill me with your spirit empty me with you of myself please and i pray in jesus name amen thank you, you may be seated so there's a gap of about Eighteen years between the last verse of chapter number two where we ended up last week and the first verse of chapter number three Now if we want to stretch out a little bit 30 years have passed since Jesus was born in Bethlehem and and John was born to Zacharias and Elizabeth On the world scene things have changed Augustus is no longer the Caesar over Rome Uh, he's gone to the grave, and that's what happens to all men. Augustus has gone to the grave, and Tiberius rules over the Western world, including this tiny little province called Judea, uh, this place that really was out in the middle of nowhere, and yet for its size has proved so important to history, and it was Tiberius who ruled over that. Now, from a political point of view, Tiberius is the most powerful man in the Western world. Nobody wields more power than he does. And by all accounts, Tiberius was a very talented and capable ruler. But he was completely lacking in moral character. He was a cruel, licentious, inhuman despot whose reign was full of scandal. Tiberius. The province of Judea, we're told, and Luke wants us to know this. By the way, Judea simply means the land of the Jews. So the province of Judea is governed by Pontius Pilate. Pilate, of course, is most famous for presiding over the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. By the way, that too was an act totally in keeping with Pilate's character. Almost nothing is known about Pilate prior to his governorship in the land of Judea. But what little history remains tells us here's a ruler who was willing to use lethal force on unarmed protesters in order to get their submission. He unleashed a massacre at the end of his governorship that was so horrific that not even Caesar could stomach it, and he was recalled to Rome. King Herod the Great, the one who took uh, and sent the wise men to Bethlehem, and then afterward his soldiers to slaughter the babies two years old and under, he's been dead for a long time. And his little slice of power was further divided between uh, individuals and and we read of him here, two of them are his sons, uh, Herod Antipas, it's called Herod here, and then Philip, Herod Philip, who is the tetrarch, we are told, of Ituria and Philip of Galilee. And then a third individual, Licinius. But this rule of these men, as you note at the end, um, as we read about Herod and Philip and Herodias, uh, their rule was marked by this scandalous affair in which uh, 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 Herod Antipas seduced the wife of Philip uh, And she divorced her husband Philip So she could marry uh, Herod And and just a whole salacious affair That God condemned And John the Baptist was not afraid To speak out against Finally Luke would have us to know That there were two men, verse 2 Annas and Caiaphas Who both held the title high priest Now that's odd It'd be like saying today two popes when we know that the catholic church can only have one and so it was supposed to be this way there's not supposed to be two men who both claim the title high priest Annas, who's mentioned first is the official high priest according to jewish lineage he would be the high priest but he got into disfavor with rome and so rome removed him from his high priesthood and placed his son-in-law caiaphas in his place, and the importance of that is you just realize that here, are, here are the Jewish people. They're in a in a bad place. Uh, if if they acknowledge, if they fail to acknowledge Annas as high priest, then they're being disloyal to their faith. But if they refuse to take and 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 uh, recognize Caiaphas as high priest, they're being disloyal to Rome. And in their minds, that's a more serious offense because Rome wields the sword and puts to death people who oppose them. And so there are some who secretly uh, hold to Annas. And there are most that just uh, outwardly recognize Caiaphas and his rule. Because it's better to go along and get along in their minds. This is the state of affairs whenever John received the word of God and came preaching. Now if you think about it a little bit, it all sounds pretty modern, doesn't it? I mean, rulers who abuse their power. Reigns of terror, not unwilling to use their lethal force against innocent people, genocide, sexual scandals, uh, religious leaders worming their way into the halls of government. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, has it? That was the state of the world when the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Luke gives us the name of seven. Gives us the, the name of seven men, who each of them was arguably the most powerful man in their realm. Uh, Tiberius, the most powerful man uh, in really the known world, and then uh, the Herods ruling over their slice of of Palestine and Judea. Uh, it, they were the individuals in those regions that had to be contended with. Pontius Pilate, overall, and of course, from a religious standpoint, you have uh, uh, Annas and Caiaphas. And yet, when God got ready to speak to his people, he didn't send his word to any of those individuals. God sent them to a young preacher by the name of John, the individual that we know as John the Baptist. That was God's answer. Giving his word to John in the wilderness that John might come in and preach it in Judea. That was God's answer to the state of the world in 30 AD when these events took place. And I just want you to know today, that is God's answer to the state of affairs here in 2020, our generation. God is not looking to the powers that be to fix things in our world. God is not going to go through the channels that we go through, the channels of government, the channels of religion. No, when God wants to get his message out, God calls a man To pick up his word and go to a place and preach that word to those people. Because it is the word of God that has the ability to reach men's heart, change people's lives. Such is the power of the preaching of the word of God. And that's what God wants us to chew on a little bit this morning. The power of the preaching of the word of God. Let's just work our way through this text a little bit this morning. The first thing that we notice here is that the ministry of John was a ministry of preaching for repentance that was his aim in his preaching he was preaching for repentance to see repentance in the lives of the people and so we read here again that um in in verse number three it says he came into all the country about jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins so through his preaching john called men to repent and be baptized, and then it says, for the remission of sins. Now, by the way, that's the same message that Peter would preach on the day of Pentecost. He would say, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And so, that was the message at Pentecost. By the way, that's still God's message today, a preaching for repentance, for remission of sins. Remission is a word that's associated with guilt. It's not a word we use all the time. It's sometimes used in the halls of justice when you remit a sentence. But it means to be released from the guilt or penalty of a transgression. We would use the word pardoned. Pardoned. So you understand, a person who is pardoned is not cleared of his guilt. He's just released from the punishment of his guilt. He's set free. And that's the idea of, uh, of remission. Remission is a word associated with guilt. It's what happens when a criminal receives a pardon for the crime he committed. He's still guilty of the crime, but he no longer has to serve the sentence that goes along with it. So John came and he preached the greatest need that exists in any of our lives or that of any man. And that has to do with the matter of sin. What we need as human beings is a pardon from God for our sins. Would anybody here uh, uh, dispute the fact that we do sin? I mean, that's what human beings do. We do it pretty well, don't we? We do sin. We are born with a sinful nature. Uh, We prove that every time we transgress God's law. Uh, We break one of those Ten Commandments. We prove that we were born sinners, and therefore we sin. And what we need is the remission of sins. You realize, without the remission of sin, there's no pardon. There's only guilt. You stand before God one day, and and you receive the judgment that you deserve. John came preaching, he said, there's a better way. You can have the remission of sins. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, if you're a little nervous this morning, let me help put a little bit of that away. It's not baptism that accomplishes the remission of sin. It is repentance that accomplishes the remission of sin. Okay. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So let's use the criminal illustration just one more time. If I said to you that that man over there, he's going to prison for murder. That's what he's going for. He's going to prison for murder. Would you even think for a minute that he's going to prison so he can murder people? No, he's going to prison because he's already committed murder. So the Bible talks about repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The baptism, okay, that's the public profession of faith, is that I'm not being baptized to have my sins remitted. I'm not being baptized to receive God's pardon. I'm being baptized because I have been pardoned. Okay. It's for the remission of sins. It's just that evidence that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I have repented and god has done what he promised to he's pardoned me from my sin and baptism is that public profession that's what's happened to me now i was baptized when i was 17 years old and i received christ my savior when i was 13 Age of 17 finally got permission from my parents i could be baptized and uh but it was that day i got to stand for a church and let them know in that very public way i'm one of you (laughs) jesus christ died on the cross for my sin he was buried he rose again i believe that My sins have been forgiven. So we talk about preaching for repentance. The reason is because it's through repentance that men can receive the pardon for their sins. John called on men to repent that God might pardon them. Sin is a real problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. It can't be explained away. You can't wish it away. But you can receive God's pardon for sins. Because Jesus came to provide that way for us. Through his preaching, John called for men to repent for their sins to be pardoned. Through his preaching, John also prepared people for the coming of Jesus. In verse 4, Luke gives us a prophecy from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 40. Letting us know that what John was doing was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, remember whenever Simeon saw the little baby Jesus... Took him in his arms. He says, now, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen what? Thy salvation. So when he's talking about seeing the salvation of the Lord, it's so that men might see Jesus because Jesus is the salvation of the Lord. He's the one who makes salvation possible. Now, we're told here by the prophecy, John's just the voice. That's all he is. The word came from God. It was John who gave voice to God's word could go out and preach God's word so men could receive it. And the Bible tells us here through the prophecy that by giving voice to the message, John prepared a road for Jesus Christ to be received in the hearts of men. By giving voice to the message, John was preparing a road by which the salvation of God might be come to all men. So, John's ministry of fulfillment of Bible prophecy. By preaching repentance, John was filling holes and smoothing rough places. So that when Jesus, the salvation of God, came, he would find an easy road into the lives of men. An easy road. It's repentance that accomplishes that. The book is opened and you can't preach repentance without calling to mind sin. And yet what we're told is that if we will repent, that the obstacles between us and the pardon that God has for us will be removed. It makes it easy for us to receive Christ as our Savior. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the one who came to provide the solution to that problem. And I think that the big truth here is that he's trying to get across to us is there is no sin that repentance cannot remove so that god's pardon may be received you can sit there and say i hear you trust me i know about this sin thing and i know how badly i've sinned and i just don't believe god could ever forgive me what john is saying is there is no sin that cannot be removed there is no hole in your life that sin is created, that repentance cannot be filled, that repentance cannot fill. There's no mountain between you and God that cannot be leveled out of the way if you will but repent so that you can receive Christ as your savior. John prepared people for the coming of the Lord Jesus. It was a ministry of preaching for repentance. By the way, that's a primary purpose of preaching. Again, sin is the problem. Repentance prepares us to receive God's solution to that problem. God builds highways into our hearts through preaching. God builds highways into our hearts through the preaching of his word. We see that John's ministry was very, very effective. In verse number 7 it says, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him multitude in your bible means really big crowd lots of people came to john out by jordan to be baptized of him but luke wants us to know they came not needing baptism but the repentance john preached they came to be baptized the bible says and yet john responds to them and says oh generation of vipers Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath uh, uh, to come. They were not proper candidates for baptism. Because they had not yet exercised repentance. Repentance comes first and then baptism. Repentance is what gives us the pardon for sin. Baptism is just that outward uh, 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 profession of faith. That allows people to see the pardon has been received. Jesus is my savior. And so. He told them, um, you are still infecting people with the poison of sin. You're like poisonous snakes going about. Okay, infecting the lives of other people. You're a generation of vipers. They were, they were smacked dead in the center of God's coming storm of wrathful judgment. He says, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He was telling them that I can't baptize you Until I first see the signs of repentance in your life. The word repent means to change your mind. If you want to just put it real literally, it means think again. It's a change of mind about what sin is, about its presence in our lives, and about how God wants us to deal with it. That's why he tells them in verse number 8, he says, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance... And begin not to say within yourselves, okay, well, who do you think you are thinking we need to repent here? (laughs) We are the children of Abraham, excuse me. And John would just look at them and say, do you think that because you have Abraham as your father, you don't need to repent? Think again. That's what repent means. Do you think that because you're born in a Christian nation, that you don't need to be born again? Think again. Do you think that because you've joined a church or consider yourself to be a spiritual person, you don't need to repent? Think again. Do you you think that your sins aren't big enough to warrant going to hell over? He would say, repent. Think again. Repentance means changing our minds about our sins, the condition of our life as a result of sins, and God's solution for that problem Jesus Christ if you think that religion will save you the answer to that is repent think again Religion doesn't save if religion saved then just go under the water be baptized be done with it But it's not through religion and it's not through baptism. It's not through good works. It's not through anything we do That we receive god's pardon for sin The salvation of god comes through jesus and jesus only and what repentance does is it prepares our hearts to receive Jesus Christ. You know, John refused to baptize many. And that's the word there, many. Until he saw some fruit of repentance. He says, bring forth fruit. The truth here, and this is lost on so much of modern Christianity, is where repentance occurs, change is expected. So many people think that grace means not having to change. I got saved by grace. God lives as I please. That's not in the book. All that is evidence of is we've never repented. We believe stuff about Jesus. We just don't believe what the Bible says about us. Where repentance occurs, change is expected. True repentance is a change of mind that results in a changed life and and, and i'm not t- that change we understand especially as believers we understand it's progressive we don't stop sinning <laughs> it's not uh, it, we, we we're not saved to a sinless life but it is expected that we'll sin less in life because we have been saved so to prove his point here john dealt with three specific issues in the lives of the individuals that came to him by jordan uh, one of them is selfishness he said do you have two coats And you have one person over here freezing dead. They have none at all. Give him one. Selfishness. You have a table spread with plenty of food. Your neighbor has an empty cupboard. Share with him. Selfishness. To the IRS agents of his day. That's what the publicans are. The IRS agents. He said stop using your office to make yourself rich. Don't take more money from people than Rome exacts of them. Stop being dishonest in the way that you do your job. To the soldiers, he said, stop using violence to take what you want because you're unsatisfied with what Rome pays you for being a soldier. In each case here, you see that people are being made aware of what's wrong in their life. They're meant to acknowledge what's wrong in their life. That's why they need a pardon from God for these things. But the expectation is, when I receive God's pardon, I'm not going to go out and do the same thing again. Something... Will change in my life. We don't repent until we get honest with ourselves about our sins. We own up to them. We call them what they are. And we know we ought to stop them. Is there anybody here this morning just say. You know what well, I have several sins. I'm just not sure I need to stop any of them. We know we do. And what repentance does is gives us the heart to do it. To change. John's preaching was effective. Not because it grew large crowds of people. It was effective because it reached the hearts of men. How do you know? Because when they heard John preach, they looked at it and said, "What do I need to do?" <laughs> you, you convinced me, I got the nature of a viper. I can bite people really well. Dead smack in the center of God's coming judgment. I don't like being there. What do I do? His answer is repent. See the fruit of repentance in your life. John preached for repentance and his preaching was effective. The last thing we see is that John's preaching pointed men to Jesus. You know, the more men heard John preach, the more they began to speculate and wonder, is he Christ? Is this one we've been looking for? You see that verse 15 and as the people were in expectation and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not John answered saying unto them I indeed baptize you with water but one mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the weed into his garner and the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable the more men heard John preached the more they wondered if John was Christ you say why is that well number one is because John's preaching made them conscious of their need of Christ and you preach for repentance and what you do is create in people a realization I need God's pardon I need Jesus John's preaching made them conscious of their need of Christ And his preaching also made them consider Christ. Because as John heard the speculation, God began to answer it. And he said, "Um, time out. It's really easy to tell that I'm not him when you consider the power of Christ. One mightier than I. When you consider the holiness of Christ. I I, I can't even serve the role of a slave in his life. I'm not worthy to unloose the the, 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 what do you call those things? Yeah, laces of his sandals. You try this sometime <laughs> with two half wore out brain cells. Consider the power of Christ, consider the holiness of Christ. He called upon me to consider the supremacy of Christ. He said, He's going to baptize some of you with the Holy Ghost and others with fire. And He makes it real clear that some are going to be gathered, okay, like weed into His garner. Others are going to be burned up like chaff. Some will be saved. Some will be perished. Some will be pardoned. Some will face God's judgment. What's the difference? What you do with Jesus. What you do in this matter of repentance. will, Will you own up to the fact of what you are? A sinner in need of a savior. And if you're in need of a savior, then we just realize there's only one. There's only one who's ever gone to the cross for you and died for you, shed his blood to save you. There's only one who is laid in the ground and is risen from the dead. And you can visit that tomb, and it's empty today. You can go to the tomb of any other great religious leader, and they are still there. Because Jesus is the Savior of mankind. Consider Christ. You know, I'm concerned today that a lot of Christians, and again, it's just the the, the modern philosophy of Christianity. Here's what we think. That if Jesus were to walk into this room right now, we'd all stand on our feet and go. (laughs) That's what we think we'd do. And what we really do is fall on our faces and worship before him. Because we'd realize he is mightier than anything I ever imagined. He's holier than I ever dreamed of. And he has power. Not talking about mighty power. We're talking about like eternal destiny power. Like no other person. Because he's the one who can give you new life. Baptize you with the spirit. He's the one that can condemn you to hell. Baptize with fire. He's the savior. It's what you do with him. That determines where you. Will spend eternity. See the preaching of repentance. Makes people conscious of their sins. The preaching that makes us conscious. Of our sins. Should then point us. Directly to Jesus. You now I remember being in church as a teenager and for the first time hearing sermons like this. And suddenly coming to the realization, I was a sinner. And realized that only Jesus could save me from my sins. Now, after I was saved, I found out this too. Only Jesus can free a life from the grip of sin. Only Jesus can heal a life that's been broken by sin. Only Jesus can change a life that's been misshapen and distorted by sin. Where sin is the problem, Jesus is always the answer. Preaching is God's method for preparing hearts for the soul-saving, life-changing works of Jesus. Preaching is God's highway to the heart. You know what God's trying to do this morning? He's trying to fill in some holes, level some mountains, okay? prepare a smooth road into your heart for Jesus. Whether it's Jesus as the Savior from your sin or Jesus for the the fresh forgiveness of your sins. For, for the help of Jesus Christ in the battle of sin in your life. The, the, the whole matter, you mentioned repent. And you think sin. Remission, pardon. There's a guilt involved. Salvation, that's what I need. I need the whole package that Jesus has to give to my life. Preaching is God's highway to the heart. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you respond to preaching? How will you respond to the preaching that you heard last Sunday? What you've heard this morning? Has it brought you under conviction? I mean, are you sitting here thinking, what what, what am I going to do? I mean, has it brought to your mind a specific sin? You know, what am I going to do about this sin? Uh, What do I do about my selfishness? What do I do about my dishonesty and my deceitfulness? Uh, If if I'm an an angry and abusive person, what am I going to do about that? It's a problem. It's a problem that God doesn't want to continue in our life. Has it made you consider Christ? Again, consider your need of him as your Savior. Has it made you think of who he is and how he is to be worshipped in your life? How you'll live for him? See, the word of the Lord came unto John. John preached it. He called men to uh, repentance, genuine repentance. The change of mind that leads to a change of life. The expectations is those that came and repented and went through the waters of baptism would walk away to live differently than as they came. Do you know that's the expectation every week? We come, we sit on the preaching. The expectation is if we're lost, we leave saved. If, if, we, if we've been struggling, we leave strengthened. If, if, if we've fallen... That we've been picked up before we walk out of here. We're not meant to leave in the same condition that we came in the doors. So the real issue today, preaching is God's highway to your heart. Now, you can have the door closed. And say, he is not coming in today. But what you really want to do is open that door. And let God have his way in your life this morning. You want to repent. You want to think differently than you did before you came in here? Think in a way that will connect you to what God has for you today. I'm going to ask you to stand please this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every